Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dilapa and Friends Do Better podcast. I know it's been a while, but you know, everybody should bear with me because this is a it's a different time, you know, with quarantine and the pandemic. I hope everybody has been able to stay safe. I pray for you and your family members that y'all will be able to see the year 220, 2021. Uh, today, I'm here with my father. You want to say hi? Hello, guys. Okay. And we're doing a series um, titled um, The Tales of a Nigerian taxi driver in new york so i have my dad here and he's going to be telling some of his interesting stories that i've been hearing over my childhood up to now at the age of 22 and i've always thought they're really interesting so i would love for him to share it with y'all um dad you want to give a brief background who you are what you're about uh my name is aki tunde aki femiwa uh about 60 years old now i came into the u.s at the age of 30 and that was 1990, and that was the the first job I had was being a cab driver in New York City. So, whenever you came, did you already have the idea that like this is what you're gonna do to start out is the cab driving? Uh, yes, I had a friend who was already traveling back and forth from the U.S. to Nigeria, and uh, we talked a lot, and he said. Uh, you have to start from the bottom. When you go, when you, if when you ever made it to the U.S., that the first job he could help you to start easily was being a cab driver. So I knew I was going to start from there when I arrived in New York. So what was the process like to get started? Uh, the process was very, very stressful because here was uh, I was I a new guy in the in the U.S. I did not know anywhere that I had to go. And uh, they just took me to uh, an area and uh, gave me about two hours of orientation. Mm-hmm. And they uh, started driving, they told me to pick a drive, pick somebody, and just kept driving. Where will I be going? Nobody told me. They just said the passenger will let you know. And so it was very stressful at the beginning. Uh, there was no GPS. And uh, I suggested having uh, a map. Those guys were laughing. You're going to be reading a map while you are driving somebody around a cab. So the first two, three, four weeks was very, very stressful. Finding my way around New York City. Did you have to rent the car that you were in or you had to buy Uh, When I said cab driving, in those days, I am not talking about the yellow cab. (laughs) I'm talking about gypsy cab driving. Gypsy cab driving in New York City, we were largely, it was largely unregulated. So you could start it right away. You just get your, get a vehicle, either you rent a vehicle from a friend. But I was lucky that my my brother gave me this uh, 1979 Impala, Chevrolet Impala, very old. And that was what I started the cab driving with. How long were you able... Did you like the car when you got it? I mean, were you picky? <laughs> hey, when I got the car, the car was... Uh, compared to the cars that I had, uh, that I had already drive, driven before in Nigeria, they were a lot smaller back home. But coming to the U.S., they gave me this Chevrolet Impala. In fact, I asked my brother, is this a car or a boat? It looks so big. 
And my brother said, hey, this is not even the biggest car. You have to get used to it. So it was to drive that kind of a big vehicle on the narrow streets of New York, it was very, very difficult. But I had to get used to it. And after two weeks, I was uh, flying around the streets of New York, even though I didn't know where you are 90% of the places that I was finding myself. And it's a complicated, it's not like it's Spring, Texas or um, somewhere more rural. It's like the, literally when people say the city, like when people say like, you know why it's for Lagos, you know why it's for anywhere, like that's our Lagos in the U.S. and that's where you were put to start. Yeah, New York is in five, it's divided into five boroughs. In uh, in Texas, they, if it's in Houston or in Texas, we use counties and all these things. But in New York, a borough is a county, so they call counties boroughs in New York. So New York is New York consists of five boroughs, and they are all crisscrossing with all these highways that you have to underground and all these things. So it's very difficult to maneuver around in New York because uh, it's, people think when they say New York City, they think, oh, you are just in Houston, running around Houston. But when you say New York City, you are talking about five counties mm-hmm. that made up only one city. Mm-hmm. So you have to master the, is it the borough of uh, Bronx, is it Manhattan, is it uh, Brooklyn? It is starting Island and uh, Queens. So you have to know which highways connect uh, the connect these boroughs. And uh, most of the passengers in New York City, they are more impatient than anywhere else. They will leave there. If they have 15 minutes to get to their job, you better make it down there. They want to make it there in 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. They will promise you more money, but you have to get there at uh, court road speed. Mm-hmm. So, New York. That's why they said if you drive in New York, you could manage anywhere in the country, anywhere else in the country. Driving New York, you have to be very, you have to be at the top of your game. Otherwise, we don't. And we never had too many accidents. Mm-hmm. Everybody was conscious, and there was no phone. There was no distraction. I remember I saw this funny interview or something where they said there's no major accidents. There's only small accidents. Little yeah. bumper here, bumper there. Yeah. People just continue with their everybody, day. Everybody, everybody is at the top of their game. You can't afford to... First, you don't want an accident. And secondly, people are impatient with accidents. If you, in the, When we were driving cabs in those days, the first rule is if you hit somebody, you get out of your car and you run. <laughs> if somebody hits you, you get out of your car, you run. Because the average driver in New York has at least a baseball bat. So people don't have the, they don't have the patience to call police and be waiting for police for what? They'll be upset with you and they'll be ready to fight you with a baseball bat. So in the, we had to be at the top of our game. That kind of kept us on our toes. We, we, I, never, I had only one accident. When I was doing the capsi, the gypsy driving, and uh, it was caused by somebody who ran a red light. I didn't cause it. So I know you said just now that like you always scared that maybe somebody in the car could have a baseball bat. Have there been any experiences when you encountered anybody that had more than a baseball bat, whether in your cab or outside your cab that you interacted with? You know, any violent situations? 
Yes, uh, we to at least twice uh, knives were just kind of a child's game, but uh, when it came to guns, yes, I was head up twice. So and uh, the first, uh, I think the the major one was it was a Christmas Eve, and I already made a lot of money. I drove all day. I drove up to like 4 a.m. and I was going home. When I saw these uh, four guys, they stopped me. I was just about, actually, I was about three or four, five minutes from my apartment. So they weighed me down. Usually, you had to size people up. They were in suits and they were well dressed. I said, okay, they look okay. I made a U turn. I picked them up and they told me where they were going. So, because I was going home, I already let my windows down. My burglary proof was down, which was between me and the pay and the passengers. So, I just said, oh, these people look good. They're coming out of a club. And uh, I did not uh, put the burglary proof up. So, I was just driving. I drove about two blocks when I felt the, the feeling of a, uh, the cold uh, metal behind my neck. And uh, the way it felt, I knew it was a gun. So uh, they asked me, they say, yeah, African, put your hands on the steering. So I put my hands on the steering. I said, what is, what's up? And they said, uh, they were going to rob me. I said, no big deal. It's okay. What do you want? Of course, they wanted money. And I said, listen, the money is under my carpet, my floor carpet. So there's no way I can reach for it unless you want me to. So they said, do you have a gun? I said, no, I don't have no gun. Do you have a knife? I don't have a knife. So they told me, it's okay, reach down and, uh, and pick the money. So I slowed down and reached down. Of course, next to my left uh, foot on the carpet of the car was my panic button. That's what you press to close the burglary proof. So I pressed it. And it went up. He always it will go up. It will go up within five seconds. Oh, wow. So it went up so fast that they couldn't. The guy could not retreat the gun. So the gun fell into my compartment, and that means the button already closed all the doors. Everything is locked down. So now they are in the back of the car, trapped. So now the game already changed, and we drove for a while. I told them I was. I was going to take them to the to the cops. So, but uh, this was New York City. They negotiated and negotiated and uh, they paid for their freedom. Hmm. But I still took the gun and threw the gun into Hudson River. And I dropped them off and went home. Did you ask for advice, like, what should I do with this gun? Or your immediate thought was, let me throw it in the Hudson River. Uh, yeah, because uh, from discussing with friends and hey, I came to this country with um, with uh, two degrees. I knew that those those kind of guns might have been used before. I knew about fingerprints. I have a sister. I have a family member who worked in forensic uh, forensic investigation. So I knew that that was a dangerous gun to to have around you. So that same night was when I drove over the Hudson River and I threw into the river. So let's, I don't want anybody finding the gun on me. Mm -hmm. yeah. So did you like, was the next day, did you, well, next day was Christmas, right? You said. 
yeah, Christmas, uh, yeah, Christmas Eve to then first day there was Christmas. So did you drive that day or did you take a break? There was no break. That was my first month in the US. All I wanted to do was make money. There was nothing else to do. I had no I had no friends outside the cab driving. I my brother would have loved me to stay home, but uh, I kind of figured that the reason I came to the US was to make some, to make uh, more money than I was making. So there was nothing else to do. So the following day, I just prayed to God for more protection and started the driving again. There was no way to stay home. Yeah. Sheesh, that's scary. Every time you tell me the story, I've heard the story before, and I've heard it two or three times, but every single time it still scares me, even though it's, what, 30 years later. Like, yeah. it's still, it's, it definitely... It teaches me that there's text. There's a lot of texture to life and layers. Because whenever I think of people who are older and they tell me stories like this, like you tell me stories when you're a little boy, and I think about that when you're playing with your friends and hanging out with them and causing trouble, bullying your bullies, and then when you're in New York, then when you're in nursing school, when you're in starting the business, it's like there's so many layers to life. And I'm excited for my own story to have these different chapters like yours has. Um, did you have any experiences with like, cause you know, also during that time, that was, that was the heyday of crack. Yes. Yes. It was, uh, it was, was, when I came to the U.S., I was so shocked at how much drug usage was on the streets of New York. And, uh, I was driving in the worst part of New York, which is, which was the South Bronx. In the Bronx, the north side was the middle class, Jewish neighborhood, good guys, middle class generally. That's where you will go to bed and still be hearing gunshots in the night. But that was a lot better than the South Bronx. In the South Bronx, that place was all messed up with crack. It was crack everywhere. How did I know what crack was? I never saw crack before. But in the gypsy driving, most of the passengers we had, most of them were on drugs. Most of them were living in uh, projects. They were living in projects on government assistance. $3 a drop, $4 a drop. And most of them, they will be going to the same direction. Take me up the hill. Take me up the hill. So one day I took some guys up the hill. And then the next thing is, it was the night, around night time. And uh, I started hearing this crackling sound behind in my, my cab. So I looked back. I saw this glowing thing like uh, some kind of greenish light glowing. And I said, what are you doing? What is that? And the guy was, oh, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to smoke. You cannot smoke. What is that thing with the light? Why is it light glowing? That's no secret. I told them to get out of my cab. So they stepped out and they said, okay, we're going to finish outside and then please take us back. Because nobody will take us, nobody else will pick us in this kind of neighborhood. So I waited for them, they finished, then they came in. I when they came inside, their demeanor had already changed. I saw the way their eyes were glowing and the way they were talking. They were high. So when I dropped them off, I talked to that my friend who the guy who introduced me to the business. What kind of stuff was this guy was they were smoking something in the car? smells terrible and it was glowing in the dark. So the guy said, whoa, that's crack. Mm. You didn't hear the sound? It was making some cracking, 
crackling. I said, yeah, that's why I looked back. And then I, I always, I've always hated smell. My nose is very sensitive. So I said, yeah, I was smelling something I've never smelled before. He said, that's crack. So later I saw this, uh, this one of these ladies I used to pick up, she was working in a post office. Very nicely dressed, she would pay, she would give us good tips. So we were always excited to pick her up to take her to 34th Street, uh, where the general post office was in New York City. And uh, I, I, I took her for months. So one day I picked her up to go to the to go to her job, and I realized that she was wearing her clothes were kind of smeared with with oil with food, mm. and she was just coming out of her building. So I look at her, I say, "Are you okay?" He said, "Yes, I'm all right. Take me to 34th Street." I took her there, and when we got there, I was surprised for the first time when she said, "You know." I'm not going to be able to pay you today, but I'll pay you tomorrow. Hey, I said, it's all right. Then the following day, she took somebody else. So when I saw another friend, I said, did you see that lady who worked at the post office? They said, hey, don't, don't pick her up anymore. She's on crack now. What do you mean she's on crack? When did you see? I said, I saw her three days ago. Did you see any change? I said, yeah, she was wearing a dress that had some smear. That she was smeared up and dirty. They say, yeah, that's how you know who is on crack. How could she be on crack? She was working at the post office, making good money. They say, well, she, maybe she tried it. And uh, that was it. The next time I saw her, she walked past me. I stood by my cab waiting for her, and I was opening the door for her to come into the cab. She just walked past me, looked through me like she didn't see me. By then, I was a nursing student. I knew this, uh, this is the beginning of... This person going downhill. Two months later, she was on the street, mm. walking the streets. And then I had other experiences of people coming to the cab, and after driving a couple of blocks, they will tell you, "Hey, you know, I have no money, but I know where I can. I know, I know one place we could go for what." Kind of, uh, you see, kind of these things were happening. People you will see today will be going to school, they will be normal, and then a month later they're on crack. So the crack was so terrible, and uh, people will be going to buy it almost every two hours. Mm. It, it hits because I kept asking them questions. I will drive you there, I know you don't have enough money, but tell me about this thing. Why do you have to do it? Oh, and I, I wish I never started it. They take this medication, it kind of um, it hits them quick and it wears off very fast. Mm -hmm. So that's it. That's so they had to take it over and over and over and over and again. And they're taking it in small amounts too. In right? small amounts. It was two dollars, three dollars. That was how they were selling it. So two dollars, three dollars. And then it made them to become homeless so fast, they would lose everything they had. I I followed a lady was going upstairs. And as a good cab driver, she used to give me a good tip. I saw her say, let me help you with the stuff upstairs to your apartment. When I got to her apartment, there was nothing in that apartment anymore. Newspapers were on the floor in the living room. That was what she was sleeping on in New York City. So it was a day. That was the that was the peak of the epidemic. It was terrible. Yeah. So did you were your feelings like like, what did you think? Because I know there's always a percent of what we 
or a thought of what we think about where we're going versus the reality that hits. Like, I mean, when we went to Paris, I didn't expect to see a mouse in McDonald's. You know, you think of a high class. Or but it's like, at the same time, there's parts and sections to it. There's middle class, lower class, higher class. Were you, was, were you disappointed? And if I, my mind was, I was kind of a little prepared by, I had uh, my, my friend's sister was one of my good uh, elderly friends back home in Nigeria. She studied in the U. She she was here. She's been in the U.S. She did. Uh, she I think she finished her nursing degree here. She got a master's here. So when when she saw my excitement level before I left Nigeria, she said, uh, "Hey, try to kind of come bring it down a little." I said, "Come on, this is we are talking about United States." He said, "Listen, you are going to see things that you." There are some things worse than what you see in Ajegule, Nigeria, in Lagos. I say, I can always find anything comparable to Ajegule. That's one of our worst slums in Lagos. He said, you will find things like that. You will see burned houses. You will see people living in houses that have no electricity. No, I laughed and I laughed. So when I came to the U.S., I was thinking about those movies of downtown New York that we saw in movies. So when I now find myself on the streets of the Bronx in New York, I used to talk to those other cab drivers that, wow, this is so, this is just at the exact opposite of what I was expecting to see. Because within three, four, five months, I was really dealing with the lowest people in the society. So I saw a lot of terrible things. I see dead bodies in the Bronx. Uh, somewhere we had a street where if we took people there, you will see dead bodies. People they have not picked up on the street. And I see in New York, in Burnside, Burnside Avenue in the Bronx, I was standing there waiting for somebody, and across the street I saw this heap of trash, and I saw a man just squatted there and was having, and was having a BM. In New York, I look at him. And you look at me, and I was one who was forced to look away. So I was so disappointed in what I saw. And the disappointment was because of the haves and the have-nots. I would drive people to downtown. I would drive, I would drive through Park Avenue, Fifth Avenue, the best parts of New York City downtown. I would drive people through around the Penn Station and all the best parts of downtown. And at the same time, I would pick people up from Harlem. The worst part of Harlem, the worst part of the Bronx. So the the disparity was so wide that I was wondering, wow, I didn't know we could have so many poor people like this in the U.S. I was surprised and I was a little disappointed. What do you? What would you say is one of your biggest lessons that you learned that learned during that time that you've carried on throughout your life in New York, or just even from these? Let's say these. Let's say the experience, because we're going to do more podcasts where you tell more stories. Let's say from these two stories that you told today, what were some takeaways from those experiences? Yeah, that uh, if I was going to make it in this country, I had to really select my acquaintances very, very wisely. Because uh, people who I was looking up to, having good jobs, while, while I was driving around a legal alien, I had nothing. And these are the people I'm looking up to and look at them. They can afford to crack 
just like that. And then I met some Nigerians too, who because of the way they chose friends, they they wanted to belong. And they went into the crack, uh, into the crack epidemic. So what I learned, I learned that I had to be very careful in the U.S. That I had to select my friends' acquaintances very, very wisely. And a lot of uh, women will get into my car, start trying to befriend, and I only had to shut it down right away. Say, ah, uh-uh, no. People invited me to parties, to clubs. Never attended any of them. Just stayed away from areas that you never know what you were going into. And then I realized, the second one is, I knew to get out of that kind of uh, level of life that I had to start investigating to how I can re-educate myself. And that was why I went to nursing school. To get out of that kind of life and uh, move up into the middle class. Honestly, Dad, thank you so much for joining me today on this episode. Um, I really hope that y'all enjoyed what we've spoken about today and that um, you will join us for our second episode or second installment of this series. Uh, I hope you have a great beginning of September to mid-September and God continue to keep you and hold you. What about you, Dad? And ladies and gentlemen, I consider it a very grand, a great honor to be to be able to participate in this podcast. And I hope I've been able to impact any one of you in one way or the other. I didn't uh, make up these stories to, I didn't tell these stories to make you feel scared of New York. New York is beautiful, but be careful where you go there. Thank you. All right, bye y'all.